0: This is The Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, March 7th. I'm Kate Trinko.
1: And I'm Daniel Davis. Well, federal judges are putting pressure on Congress to decide whether women should be in the draft. Penny Nance, a leading conservative activist, rejects the idea that women should be drafted. And today we'll bring you Kate's interview with Penny on the draft and other issues, including the Me Too movement, abortion, and what it means to be a conservative woman in 2019. Plus, critics go berserk over a gay novel because it appropriates the wrong identities.
0: And just a reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and please leave a five-star review on iTunes that helps us reach more listeners so that they can also listen to this podcast. And now we're going to have our headlines. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen testified Wednesday in a congressional hearing about the state of the crisis at the border.
2: The projections are dire. The agency is now on track to apprehend more migrants crossing illegally in the first six months of this fiscal year than the entirety of FY17. And at the current pace, we are on track to encounter close to one million illegal aliens at our southern border this year.
0: She also addressed the issue of families being separated at the border.
2: ICE is not uh, stopping families from being represented. There are three— Reunited. Reunited. There are three uh, instances uh, in longstanding practice uh, which CBP, not ICE, uh, encounters a family unit presenting as a family unit uh, where separation may be necessary. Uh, The first one is if the adult accompanying that child is not a parent or legal guardian. The second, uh, if there is a risk uh, to the child. And the third is if the parent otherwise needs to go to a uh, custodial prosecutorial setting. Longstanding process. Uh, The numbers are not high. Happy to provide them with you. Uh, But that is what CBP does at the border for, for the protection of the child.
0: One representative, Benny Thompson, Democrat of Mississippi, asked Nielsen if the U.S. was putting children in cages while detaining them.
3: For the record, Madam Secretary, are we still using cages for children?
2: Uh, Sir, we don't use cages for children. In the border facilities that you've been to, uh, they were not made uh, to detain children. As the children are processed through, they are in subparts of those facilities.
1: And border agents are now dealing with a massive surge in border crossings, the highest number in a decade. Customs and Border Protection Commissioner Kevin McAleenan said, quote, the system is beyond capacity and remains at the breaking point. According to new government data announced on Tuesday, in the month of February, 76,000 migrants crossed the border illegally, nearly twice what the number was this time last year. That number amounts to roughly 2,200 new migrants each day. McAleenan said this is clearly both a border security and a humanitarian crisis.
0: According to new figures released by the government, the trade deficit in 2018 grew by 10.4 percent to $891.3 billion. But while President Trump has focused on the trade deficit, it's not clear that it's bad news for Americans who drove the deficit by buying. The Wall Street Journal reported, quote, Overall, U.S. imports grew 7.5% last year, driven in part by spending on consumer goods, industrial supplies, and capital goods. Americans stepped up imports from China, purchasing more TVs, auto parts, video games, and furniture.
1: Well, Jack Phillips is on a winning streak. The Colorado baker who won last year at the Supreme Court came out on top this week after being sued a second time by the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. The commission had sued him for declining to bake a custom cake that would have violated his beliefs, a cake celebrating a gender transition. In return, Phillips filed suit against the commission and sought damages, which is something he did not do in last year's case. But on Tuesday, the state's attorney general, Phil Weiser, a Democrat, announced that the commission would be dropping the lawsuit and that Phillips would also drop his. Phillips said he was looking forward to serving his customers as he always has, with love and respect. He also reiterated his position, which was at the core of his defense last year, in the same-sex wedding case. Quote, I have and will always serve everyone who comes into my shop. I simply can't celebrate events or express messages that conflict with my religious beliefs.
0: Democrats were planning to have a vote on anti-Semitism in response to Democratic Representative Ilan Omar of Minnesota's latest use of an anti-Semitic trope. But the Washington Post reported Wednesday that House Democrats are fighting amongst themselves about what to do. I think there's a big rise in anti-Semitism and racism, and that's a bigger conversation we need to be having, said Representative Cedric Richmond, a Democrat of Louisiana. But it starts at 1600 Pennsylvania. It doesn't start with one member out of 435 members of Congress. Trump tweeted Wednesday, it is shameful that House Democrats won't take a stronger stand against anti-Semitism in their conference. Anti-Semitism has fueled atrocities throughout history, and it's inconceivable they will not act to condemn it.
1: Well, Fox News is getting the cold shoulder from the Democratic Party. The DNC announced Wednesday that it won't allow Fox News to host one of its televised debates during the upcoming presidential primary. DNC chairman Tom Perez said that he had considered allowing Fox to host a debate but changed his mind after The New Yorker published a story alleging deep ties between Fox and the White House's inner circle. He said he had concluded Fox News was, quote, not in a position to host a fair and neutral debate for our candidates.
0: The alleged attacker of conservative activist Hayden Williams at University of California, Berkeley, Zachary Greenberg, is now facing felony charges from Alameda County. Williams' lawyer, Harmeet Dillon, who we featured on the Daily Signal podcast yesterday, told Fox News, We're happy that the authorities seem to be taking this seriously, but we'll suspend judgment on how seriously until we see the resolution of this case. Greenberg is not a student at UC Berkeley, although he had attended classes there and worked as a volunteer in prior years.
1: Well, up next, Kate's interview with a leading female conservative, Penny Nance.
0: Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. Each Tuesday in The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for The Agenda on Heritage.org today. Okay, joining us from CPAC is Penny Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America. Penny, thanks for being on with us. No,
3: it's great always being with the Daily Signal, of course.
0: Okay, so I want to start first off. We see more and more this idea in media that you can't be a woman and a conservative. What's your response to that?
3: Oh, there's so many things that fly <laughs> through my mind in response to that. You know, it, the, the media, the, the mainstream media loves to project that women are monolithic. And it's not new. It's not new and that somehow we're this, you know, victimized group of people who cannot think for ourselves. Um, You know, I think this country is pretty evenly split on the issue of the social issues, issues like life and others. Um, And that is true for women as well. We're 51 percent of the population. We uh, we receive more undergraduate degrees than men. We receive more law degrees and medical degrees. We own a third of small businesses in this country. We um, employ, you know, millions of people and create trillions of dollars in revenue every year. We get to think for ourselves. <laughs> and I would say the left gets to be wrong. <laughs> but it is, uh, it is absolutely, patently false that, that a large number of American women are not conservative. We tend to be very conservative. And remember, 30 million women voted to elect Donald Trump president.
0: So how do we reach more women with the conservative message?
3: I think we have to break through the bubble. Um, unfortunately, not every woman watches Fox News, nor will they. Not even, ever, many women won't even pick up a Wall Street Journal and read it. Um, they tend to read, we, we as women tend to read more of our local or regional newspaper. Um, we've got to really press into, new media opportunities. We've got to hold accountable and I'm using air quotes you can't see me, women's magazines. Mm -hmm. Um, I have just been appointed to the um, Women's Suffragist Centennial Commission and that's a bipartisan commission of left and right. It's Kay James of Heritage yep. and uh, Barbara Mikulski. And I sat yesterday next to Jennifer Newsom, Gavin Newsom's wife, who's a lovely human being, by the way. I uh-huh. really enjoyed meeting her. Um, and they were talking about women's magazines covering this. And I said, I'm not going to be satisfied unless Kay James is on the cover of Glamour magazine. <laughs> now, that's quite a reach, right? But why aren't we insisting on it? Why aren't we insisting on our voices being heard? Why are we settling for what the crumbs that the left will throw us? And I would say that not just in media, but also we need to speak up in our uh, in our civil organizations, in our... Uh, PTA meetings in our, uh, you know, our, our play groups. We need to tell the truth about the issue of life, the intrinsic value of human life and why that's important to our culture and what's happening today on the issue of infanticide. We need to talk about why it's important to have a strong defense and why we need a, a solid, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, economic uh, system that allows for opportunity for everyone, um, and why free market system advantage- is an advantage for women, <laughs> mm-hmm. whoever has the best idea is who wins in a free market economy and it's lifted up the standard of living for women all over the world, and why we are an exceptional nation, why women in this country have it better than women almost anywhere in the world, and by the way, the largest number of legal immigrants come mean, across our shores are women because they know. They know we have something special here. So let's be evangelists for what we believe. Okay,
0: so you brought up infanticide, and we've just seen... what seems to be almost an unbelievable amount of extremism lately in abortion politics in 2019? What do you think is going on? I mean, are we witnessing a change where they're beginning to make the case for? No, it's
3: not a change. It's what they've believed all along. They've just been masked. I mean, in a really weird way, I'm thankful that we're finally having the conversation. This has been the position of Planned Parenthood. Hillary Clinton and the left big abortion all along, that abortion should be legal at any point, any reason, any number, all paid for by the taxpayer. I've said this all along, and somehow they've been able to obfuscate and pretend otherwise. Well. The the left over-celebrated in New York, and suddenly everyone noticed what happened. Kathy Tran told the truth about her bill in Virginia, and our governor, my governor in Virginia, uh, set, told the truth that he thought, well, if a baby happens to survive her abortion and is lying on the table, that she should be kept comfortable while the mother and the doctor, which the doctor in this case would be the abortionist, have a conversation about what to do next. That's Robert Go- That's a Kermit Gosnell world. So this isn't new, actually. This has always been their belief and their position, but most people didn't know it because they were so good at hiding it.
0: So you came out during the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation fight as being in favor of him. But you also talked about your own experience mm-hmm. with sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And how did you come to support Kavanaugh and also how do you think as conservatives we should respond to I almost want to say an outpouring of grief that's going on yes. with me too. Like yes. what's the right way to respond that to That is
3: really the right way to say that. I was so saddened. And and at at the last day, the the day of the cloture vote, I brought together, we we had hundreds of women on the hill lobbying, and I brought them together at the end after the vote in prayer for the women that we had met and we had seen. And you said it exactly right, this outpouring of grief over the way that they had been treated the things they had experienced and we've got to remember that first there is these were women speaking from very broken places but it's our job to be clear-eyed and about the rule of law and the fact that um you know we sadly if we didn't know this before we we woken up to the fact that women and men are broken and uh, you know you have you had the Duke lacrosse players, and you had the UVA scandal, and you know even going back in history, you know in literature, yeah, <laughs> to *Killing Mockingbird*, so it describes the issue of that race has to play in some of this, and so we have to be very clear in our belief that. Um, Every woman has a right to share her story. And I have my own story. I, uh, you mentioned it. I was, I'm the victim of an attempted rape. Uh, I was out on a running path while I was pregnant with my daughter, who thankfully is here with me today at CPAC um, as a, a young woman. And a complete stranger attempted to rape me, and uh, another stranger, a woman, stopped the assault from happening. And it was uh, traumatic. And it was life changing and sometimes I still deal with the repercussions of that because it, there is there is hurt there. Um, I can't imagine what, what other women have gone through and how they survive it but they do. But that doesn't mean that we don't recognize that everyone has a right to due process. That one an unsubstantiated allegation can't be enough to destroy someone because people are broken. So we have to... Listen. We have to look into it thoughtfully and fully. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a priest. I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you're a politician. I do not care who you are. If the FBI needs to be involved, as in, I believe in the case in Virginia with Justin Fairfax, um, or or Brett Kavanaugh, the FBI looked into all of these, and at the, end of the day, we know that it, he was he was an innocent man, and so. Then there's the political aspect, that we can't allow the left to make unsubstantiated unsubstantiated allegations and destroy our nominees, because they will. They will do that.
0: Okay. So, we recently had a judge rule that women should be part of the draft. Um, Mm -hmm. For complicated legal reasons, this doesn't immediately mean that women will be drafted, but you can sort of see where the trend is going. How do you feel about this?
3: Well, you know, I'm so proud of uh, our women, our patriots that have served. Um, uh, my son, by the way, is applied. We're waiting here back if he gets into West Point. Oh, I would cool. love it if my daughter had wanted to do that. She, she chose to go to Liberty University, which shout out to Liberty, I, where I graduated <laughs> from. Um, <clears throat> We have uh, many members who are, have been in the military or military wives or mothers, and uh, we support our military 100%, and we are proud of our women warriors. Um, I think there's a big difference, though, between giving women the liberty and the freedom to volunteer. To fight, to volunteer to go into combat versus requiring them to go into combat, and that's really where this breaks down. Uh, before John McCain died, he and I had a pretty strong conversation, shall we say, on this matter. <laughs> and actually, looking back, is actually a sweet memory because at the end of it, we like, we disagreed to disagree, but it was pretty rough. We were pretty nose to nose at that moment. Um, and and because I said he, you know, he was like, well, you know, he, he said, you know women want to protect their nation? I said, of course they do. And some of them don a, a uniform to do that, but you cannot tell me that the women throughout history, the women in World War II that went to work in the factories, the women during uh, the Vietnam-Korean conflict, and all the women you know now that are at home, keeping the home fires burning, raising their children while their husband is off fighting, is not serving their nation, because they are. And so we, as women, can serve in a number of ways. If we choose to serve as warriors, we choose to serve, and I support that, but I don't support the idea that we're gonna force women into frontline combat. I don't support that.
0: Okay. You mentioned that you're on uh, the committee um, celebrating the 100th anniversary of suffragates along with Heritage's K. Coles James. Um, What are some of the interesting things you're learning or getting to celebrate? I mean, it's incredible to me as a woman that 99 years ago, it would have been the first time I could have voted.
3: Yeah, what we were talking about yesterday was kind of funny. There was 14 states that never ratified the 19th Amendment. So you mean like (laughs) technically? Yeah, so it's going to be a little like awkward, I think, for some of them. I said, hey, this is their chance (laughs) to right the wrong. Um, I, you know, it's really fantastic to me to get to be a part of recognizing the important history. And, you know, I'm a fan of and love to talk about Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and the, the early suffragists, who, by the way, were pro-life. They would not recognize the women's movement today. Um, and so I, I really loved, and, and you know, and many of them were joined by the abolition movement. I mean, there was just a really great awakening going on in our country at that point. And then, you know, things started to change because of the issue of abortion, frankly. And um, and there's a split among women. Um, but I think, I, I am excited as someone who loves history and enjoys history to, to to you know sort of point out this moment this unified moment and in that room yesterday it was my first meeting it was a very unified feeling and kay james as the chairman of the commission does a great job of making sure all voices are heard and making making sure we stay on point to um recognize and to uh underscore and celebrate that history as opposed to just just you know getting off on tangents of politics that divide us. Maybe we can lead the way for the nation in some small way of what it looks like to have civil discussions and to work together on something that's important. Well, that would be
0: great. (laughs) Okay, Penny Nance, Concerned Women for America, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It
3: was great being here. Do conversations about the Supreme Court leave you scratching your head? Then subscribe to SCOTUS 101,
0: a podcast breaking down the cases, personalities, and gossip at the Supreme Court.
1: Well, we've seen Hollywood actors get lambasted for agreeing to play roles that don't quite reflect their own self-identity, such as their sexual orientation or otherwise. But now, according to Slate, the critics are going after fiction authors. Enter Kosovo Jackson. He worked as a sensitivity reader for major publishers. Essentially, what he would do is read manuscripts and flag the ones that were too insensitive to publish, but then he decided to write his own book. And note here that Jackson is both black and gay. His book was called A Place for Wolves. It's a gay romance novel set in the 1990s Kosovo, and the two main characters are American. Well, some reviewers got hold of advanced copies of the book, and they tore it to shreds. Their beef? Jackson was appropriating other identities that were not his own. One reviewer on Goodreads blasted the book for not being written by a Muslim, since that's the majority religion in Kosovo, for quote-unquote centering Americans in a foreign country and for making the villain an ethnic Albanian, among other things. Another commenter said, quote, "...are you able to confidently justify supporting this book despite all of the above, despite the harm it can and will do to real people?" End quote. Another person had given a positive review, but after seeing all the negative reviews, went back and apologized to those that she had, quote, hurt with my review and promised to, quote, work harder. So, Kate, I know you're not exactly into this kind of novel, but are we witnessing the end of fiction writing here?
0: Yes. I mean, I think basically what we're saying is nothing is okay except memoirs. Um, Because we should note that um, this guy, um, he's actually pulled his book. It's not going to be published. I can't say that a book about a gay romance in 1990s Kosovo is one that I plan to read or purchase for others. But I do think, you know, this comes, this is the second young adult book we've seen pulled this year. Another one um, was written by a Chinese immigrant to the United States. She was also, um, it's extremely complex, but essentially... People faulted her for her discussion of oppression because she's not African-American. It didn't seem to matter that in Asia there is her own oppression narrative, which doesn't have to do with the Civil War in American history. But I, I think it's it's really chilling and it's concerning. I think any good writer will be hesitant. You know, um, it's an old uh, cliche for fiction writers, write what you know, Um you know, I dabble in fiction and I've never had the main character be a guy because I find that hard. I don't really know. I mean, but it's not like I don't have guy characters when I write. It's not like, you know, Shakespeare, among many, many others, wasn't able to capture what it was like to be a woman. I mean, uh, yes, fiction is about make-believe. It's not memoir. Right. And, and I guess, you know, if you look
1: back to literally every book that's been, every fiction in the book mm-hmm. that's been written, every classic – the authors, there are differences between the author, their personal experiences, and that of the main character. Certainly, there are lots of similarities between them. Oftentimes, they've been inspired by their own past to write about this other character. Um, but sometimes, there's differences. And my question is, where do you draw the line between what counts as your identity and what's what's just a random fact about you? So, like, you know, right now, people are saying your gender, your ethnicity, your, your, your race, your your sexual orientation, all of that stuff counts as your identity and you can't write from the perspective of other identities. But what about someone who's had XYZ experience in their life that might also shape their identity in some way but isn't as definitive a category? Like can you write from their perspective or, too?
0: Wh- why do you have – why is that relevant? I right. mean I think that obviously there's certain um, – things that we don't want to do in terms of appropriating identity, I think it's very hurtful to wear blackface. And I would say that's not an appropriate use, but like that's an extreme example. But I think, you know, are there um, Asian or white authors who have written about black characters? Yes. And I think that that's something that, you know, the test is sort of in the book itself. If it's very poorly done, then I think, you know, African-Americans are going to say this isn't true to our experience. But, you know, um, Leo Tolstoy was a guy and I read Anna Karenina and I don't think that he didn't understand women or the women's experience. And, um, you know, there are people who, when they are young, have written about older people. There are older people who are far removed from youth who write about young people. Um, Fiction is... It is not meant to be. I keep returning to this, but a memoir. It is meant to be fiction, and there is a kind of truth in it, and we should judge it on that truth, not limit people to only writing about exactly what they know.
1: A good author will talk to you know if you're writing a book about X Y Z character mm-hmm. who's different from you, you. You you know if you're a good author, you would talk to other people who uh, might have a similar experience. Um, but I think the point of 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 writing these fiction books is that even beyond our unique identities, there's something more fundamental about being human that we can all get in touch with and relate to. And um, like that is communicable. And as long as it, you know, accurately reflects some, you know, an experience that someone had, uh, it doesn't matter who wrote it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a tremendous point. That's true. Yes, there is a universal human experience and it is accessible and there is more that unites us than divides us. Um, But I think the other thing that I was just going to bring up is also, you know, fiction uh, plays a pretty key role in people developing empathy. And, you know, obviously for the writer as well. And I, I don't think that, I mean, yeah, if you're an author And every time you have an Asian character or a gay character, he's the villain and you've written 20 novels. Okay, that might be concerning and suggest that there's some inherent racism or something. But that's not none of these recent examples are that or anything anywhere near that. They're so subjective and based on such tortured readings that, um, yeah, they're essentially just limiting things in. A really profound way, and I thought it was interesting. There um, are a series of books, um, I think it's called My Brilliant Friend. It's been a couple of years since I read them, but they're about two women growing up in Italy from uh, the 1950s to the modern day. And they're by a woman who writes well, actually, we don't know. They're by someone who writes under the pen name Elena Ferrante. Some people think they have tracked down who the person actually is, it's hotly debated. Um, this person has despite written best-selling books, or at least I'm pretty sure they were best-selling, chosen to remain anonymous. And it's sort of interesting because it raises this point. We don't actually know if this woman, if it is a woman, if this person is Italian, um, anything. And why does it matter? Like, uh, clearly, the experience doesn't offend Italians who are familiar with that period. It's resonated with um, thousands of readers across the world. I mean, they're they're kind of dark. I don't know if I'd recommend them. But... um, yeah, it, it shouldn't be relevant who the author is. You know,
1: I find a surprisingly common thing is British actors playing Americans. Yeah. I will often <laughs> watch a movie and be like, oh, that actor was really good. I've never seen them before. And then look them up on Wikipedia and they're from like Great Britain or somewhere.
0: Right. Yeah, and and it's how like, dare they?
1: Wow. It's like, On one hand, it's like, I, hmm, if you were like playing an American soldier, it's kind of odd that you're not American. But at the same time, you did a great job and I'll watch the
0: movie again. Right. And I think that's interesting that you bring that up because I don't think anyone has a problem with that. Right. And it sort of goes back to the point that you raised earlier, like where exactly do we draw the lines? And I think we can say that there might be certain lines and I think it's sort of industry dependent. But yeah, right now they're just way out of control how far they're being drawn.
1: Yeah. I mean, as a nod to what the, the people are concerned about. Like, you, you don't want to misportray a perspective. Like, that's what they're concerned about, I think, is somebody's perspective being misportrayed. Um, but again, not, not too hard to get the facts right and to, you know, do your research and, uh, you know, write a compelling story. That and else? again, even within quote-unquote identity groups, everyone has a unique experience. So not a single narrative has to define everyone's experience from that group
0: great and they're labeled as fiction (laughs) they're not claiming to be reported works (laughs) or something you know and yeah i mean yeah go to the internet and say how upset you are about the depiction
1: well if any fiction authors listening to this podcast please uh write some great fiction and save the genre for us we're gonna leave it there for today thanks so much for listening to the daily signal podcast brought to you from the robert h bruce radio studio at the heritage foundation
0: Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or a five-star rating on iTunes. Be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa
1: flash briefing. We'll see you again tomorrow.
0: You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound design by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.